You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. kick off this morning as we uh, look at this new series entitled Breaking the Mold, Breaking the Mold of What Has Been, that we might walk into the new of what God desires for us. This is January 4th. I hope you're enjoying the first four days of of uh, this new year as we as we launch together as we look forward we always look ahead to the great things that is in store great opportunities a fresh start and uh, as we look forward to this new year January the 4th uh, we recognize that this is not new in itself January 4th isn't new this is my 38th January 4th. I've been through a January 4th before. You've been through some of those before. This is not new. We've been through January 4th. In fact, some significant things have happened on January 4th. It, some significant things that have taken place in, in uh, 1519. It was January the 4th, 1519, that Martin Luther preached a sermon in Altenburg that gave way to the Reformation that began to spread and it fueled the fire of Reformation. It was his first message preached in Altenburg and it was really a time of fueling the fire and the flame of Reformation that was going throughout Europe and that area. January the 4th, 1725, Benjamin Franklin, a young 18 or 19 year old, arrives in London to begin learning the printing press. They were lessons later that when he returned a year later were things that he implemented, things that he used. But on January the 4th of that year, he arrived in London and began a training. January the 4th, 1861, President Buchanan appointed a day of fasting on account of a threatened secession from the South. That he, he called together a national day of prayer and fasting and a season of fasting. And here we are years later on January the 4th, 2005. 15 saying let's call to a time of prayer and we may not hear it from our white house it may not be called from a public place but how many know it's the church of god that when god's people he says if my people will seek my face and pray if we his people it was in january the 4th of 1863 that the four-wheeled roller skates were patented. How many know that changed everything this date in 1863 the the roller skates were patented 1920 January the 4th, 1920, was the first National Negro Baseball League. It was organized on this day. Things were changing and breakthrough, things that were happening. It was January the 4th, 1935, that Bob Hope had his first radio broadcast on National Radio Network. The first radio time that they would have heard the nation of the voice of Bob Hope was January the 4th. It was January the 4th, 1958, that Sir Edmund Hillary reaches the South Pole after a year earlier being the first man to climb Mount Everest. Here he is, a man who climbs Mount Everest, but as if that wasn't enough, he reaches and continues. And in another year, on January the 4th, reaches another point. I said these were significant or big events, not all popular it was January the 4th, 1999, that a former professional wrestler was sworn in as a governor of Minnesota. It was of 2010. I, we lived in Minnesota at that time, Jody and I, and we we're like, how does this happen? We were, we were voting people of Minnesota at that time, and there might be some other Minnesotans that were here too. I don't know if Jeremy's here or not, but how in the world did that happen? Anyway, 2007, January the 4th of 2007, the 110th United States Congress elected the first female speaker of the House in history. History was set of that year, January the 4th. 
January the 4th, 2010, just five years ago this day, the world's tallest building was officially opened in Dubai, India. This day had significant events in the past, and there are moments of significance that happened on January 4th. January 4th is not new, but this is January 4th, 2015. What significant event of this day, of this moment, that might open the door to something of this year that would be significant, that would be life-changing? Maybe this year, it's a year that your marriage is strengthened like never before. Maybe this year, a son or daughter comes back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe this year, things that were were we're in disarray and relationships are mended and put together. But this is an opportunity of significant things. What will 2015 look like for you? What will 2015 be in your life and in your future? That was then, but this is now. We had a January 4th. We had things that have been significant, things that have happened. But this is a new moment. I love new things. Anybody else? We, we, you Christmas, and uh, uh, we felt like we were, we were uh, orthodox this week. We had uh, Jody's family in. We celebrated Christmas one more weekend. Why not? Let's just, let's just keep it going. An orthodox Christmas, I believe, January the 7th, I think. And so it's, uh, uh, you're, you got even more to, to celebrate. But everybody comes in, and there's new stuff. You, you might be sporting some new things. We like new things. I went to the uh, mall with uh, Jody and I. We were going through the mall, and uh, we were going into a store, and we were looking for a specific gift. And while I was walking down the hallway of that store, I went to put my hand into my pocket, and when I did, I bumped my belt loop that had literally broken, and I pulled my belt off. I said, I need a new belt. (laughs) Fortunately, we were in the store. I had no intentions of buying a belt that day, but how many know an old belt? means it was, it was time to get a new one. When the old one falls apart, I had a neighbor. We lived in Dillsburg. There was a neighbor right beside us. He had a flat screen television. That was a big deal. He had a flat screen television. That flat screen television was right downstairs and they had it on a, on, you know, one of those, those uh, tables that when that all started coming out, it was standing on there. His son had a tennis ball and that two year old son put that tennis ball. He was a good pitcher. I mean, right dead center of the TV. I mean, that was a strike for sure. He turned the TV on. He'd see this coloration from that spot that would just ripple apart. I mean, no, that kind of upset dad. The little boy, two years old, this was his response. The dad told me, this is how the little boy handled it. Hey, daddy, we get to get a new TV. <laughs> if only it was that simple. I mean, we, we, something old, it's broken. But how many know that when something comes to the end of its existence, when the time is up, it's time for something new. Now, listen, in our lives, until we desire new habits more than the old habits, we'll remain the same creatures we've always been. Until we desire change. Someone said one time, we must be people who learn how to change before change is necessary. See, every single one of us are individuals that we must go through change. If you're going to have a happy marriage, you're going to have to change. You say, well, this is how she met me. She met me this way. She knew what she was getting. (laughs) Yes and no. There's a process that is yes, because on the same side, she or he, whatever, you're, if you're, you're your wife or your, your husband, they're learning to change as well. This is a process. We're gro- going through a growth spurt. In fact, one of the weeks in this series is just called that, a, a growth spurt. We're going to talk about what to do when we hit those points in life that hinder and stop us from growing. But here today, looking at our lives of change, of things that need to happen, we kick off a new year desiring what God wants. In our lives, you see, before we can be ready for the new, there has to be a letting go of the old. There has to be, and this is what was in our spirit as we prayed over this new year as leaders and and our team together. We just knew in our spirit that God wanted to do a new thing. 
God wanted to do something new. And we said, well, we label that new things. What is it about new? And it just clicked for us. We knew that in order for God to do something new, there needs to be a breaking of the mold. There needs to be a breaking of the mold. You'll never find something new and restored if we keep doing the same things that have occurred in the condition that we're in, in the same place that we are. There needs a change. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17, and this will be a theme verse. I'd encourage you, you're going to hear this over the next couple of weeks as we talk about this series. I would encourage you, mark this down and make it a memory verse, something that you would memorize and hide the word of God in your heart. If you don't know the scripture already, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come you want to recognize this that if you are in christ he says this as a validation if anyone is in christ the way you validate if you and i are in christ is to see whether or not we're done with the old if we're still living the same old man then we're not in christ we're still in our own flesh we're in ourselves now i realize that there's a process of that change and that work that happens but if I remain, and, and here's, here's the, the, the good news for my wife. She's going to get a new husband this year. She's probably all excited. No, she's not all excited. Here's the desire. I pray. You know what it's like. Those of you that have iPhones, I'm not an iPhone guy. And uh, I, here's why people say, why don't you have an iPhone? Because I tend to just be the guy that's like, if that's what everybody else has, I don't want it. I mean, I'm just one of the, I'm that, that kind of that rebel of the, <laughs> in a, that kind of way. I'm not a rebel any other way. Don't look at me like that. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, everybody else has an iPhone. I don't want an iPhone. I'll go with something that everybody else doesn't have. But you know what it's like. You get the iPhone, all of a sudden everybody has the iPhone. And then somehow they got the generation three. I mean, what happened to two? I don't know. But then there's iPhone four, and then there's the 4S, and then there's the five, and now they're all the way up to six. And how many know you enjoy having the latest model? How many are tech, tech people who love having the latest Stuff. Anybody admit, wanting to admit that? No, everybody's like, we are not carnal people. We are not materialistic. We are, we are humble. We don't. You know, the, you know you're out there. You like having the latest. And two of my kids should have been raising their hands right there because that we want the latest. We want the newest. You know what this is in our lives? It's the same. Let me ask you, have you become the newer version of you? Or are you the same old? Have you become the newer version of you or are you the same old? Are you the same that you've been for a period of time or have you allowed there to be a new change? Every upgrade, this, this difference, this change, have you become a newer you or are you the same old? Because if anyone in, is in Christ, they are a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Look at your neighbor and ask them, are you the new you? Are you the new you? Is this the newer version? Don't, some of you husbands and wives don't get, this is not, no one ever said from here we need to trade in for a newer version. That's not what we said. We said we need to become the newer version. We need to become the new. We need to become those ones that are changing the work that God wants to do in our lives. This morning as we look into this new series in, in uh, Genesis chapter 19, there's a tragic story that we're going to look at. And, and the story in, is told of Lot who was the nephew of Abraham. And if you, if you don't know the Bible, let me just give you a, a little bit of history to put this in context for you. Abraham was the father of Israel. He's the one that God made all the promise to. He said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, that from you 
will be, you'll have children more than the, the stars in the sky, the sands on the seashore, that you will be the father of a great nation. He makes that promise to Abraham. When he makes that promise to Abraham, Abraham is now traveling with his, with his aunt, which would be the heir to his, everything he has, who was Lot. Lot was his nephew. And so Lot, the nephew of Abraham, was traveling with him. Now, Abraham had no children. His wife was not able. And you know the story. If you, if you, you can go back and maybe hear the story or read that in, in, the, in the early part of, uh, of Genesis and, and things that were taking place. And one day, of course, they came to a place as they had many more uh, family members. They weren't Adam or uh, Abraham's family because Abraham didn't have children, but they were, they were servants and those that, that were gathered and growing and the servants' families and their families and their families. Lot, of course, is married. He has two daughters and their fam- and the, 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 the servants of theirs and the livestock. They came to the place and they said, we don't have enough bathrooms in this house. We got to split. Well, they didn't say bathrooms in the house. They said, there's not enough land for our, for our animals, for our people. We're not getting along. There's not enough space. So we need to part ways. Abraham said, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham said, you pick the way. And Lot, you take your family. And he said to his nephew, you go one way and I'll go another way. And here we find the story that Lot ends up in a place called Sodom. And in this place is an area where he recognizes or he's at a place where he cannot remain. How many would say today you're at a place in life where you can't remain? You can't remain in this place. And I want, listen, there's some of you here today, you, everyone else around you might know you need to change. You need to, you cannot remain in the same place. But somehow we can sometimes be so blind to the need in front of us and we ignore the fact that we need to change ourselves. This morning, I'm not asking you to see who around you needs to change. I'm asking you to ask yourself this morning, am I in a place that I need to change? Am I at a place in life where something must change? Am I at a place where there has to be a switch, a new change, something different? Lot is at a place and he recognizes it. Unlike some people, Lot knows something's got to change. In fact, here's where we find him. He's visited by two messengers. The Bible calls them angels. And that doesn't mean they had the the, the angelic robes and the wings and all the stuff. It It meant that they were messengers sent from God. They came from God with a message. They were messengers. And here's where they find Lot. He's sitting at the gate. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 19 And here's what it says. That evening, two messengers came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. And when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Now, I want you to understand this. The reason he would have been there at the gate is all the elders and judges or decision makers sat at the gate. It was their job to set posts, to be at the gate. They knew who was coming. It was their job to know what was going on. So Lot was involved in the politics or in the the decision making of that day. And so he's sitting at the gate, but I think he's also there for another reason. He's sitting at the gate because he's waiting for change to come. Somehow he knows he needs to change, but he doesn't know how to change it. Have you ever been to a place where you know something's got to happen, but you're not sure where to start or what to do? You ever been there? You might have people around you and you say, man, this this situation needs to change, but I don't even know where to begin, how to help them. I don't even know how how to make this happen. I believe Lot was at that place. Lot was knowing he's sitting at a place where change would happen. He's at a place of decision, at the gate. And he's waiting for change, but all the while not willing to do what needs to be done. He sees the, the messengers that came in 
He welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We don't want to inconvenience you. We'll spend the night right here in the city square. But Lot insisted. Now, that's all the Bible says there, but I believe he was more than just insisted. Lot's way was saying, you can't stay outside. This, this, it's, not, it's not safe. It's not good for you. You can't stay outside. He insisted. He insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate it. Now listen, something significant. This is the first time in the Bible that it gives the description that he made bread or that bread was made without yeast. In every other place, even the other, uh, this is uh, chapter 19 of Genesis, and there are about three other places that bread is mentioned earlier in the book of Genesis, but they all just say bread. This is the first place it says bread without yeast. Now, they would not have been in the days of Exodus. Exodus is later. The movie's out. The movie's okay. It's not good. I mean, it's, you know, they did not portray God properly. And so anyway, but fine, check it out. But always read the Bible and know what the truth says. The Exodus had not occurred yet. And so, but at the Exodus, we knew that unleavened bread or bread without yeast became significant because even before that, they would have known bread without yeast is traveling food. You made bread without yeast when you were in a hurry. Now, how many know when they were in the Exodus, they knew what that meant because Pharaoh said, you know, get out of here, leave. And God said, uh, pack, don't make any bread with yeast, just pack up, we're out of here now. We don't have time for the yeast to rise. We don't have time for this, for this to happen. We're just gonna take it as it is. This is traveling food. That would have been the culture already. They knew. And I believe Lot here, the fact that he makes bread without yeast is Lot, even in his way, saying, something change has got to happen. We've got to leave. We've got we've to move. There needs to be a move. He's doing it for the sake of his guests. But I think it's significant that it says here that bread is made without yeast because Lot is even being aware that we don't have time. We can't wait. There's something needs to be done. But yet Lot does nothing. Have you ever been in a place like that? You know something needs to change. You know you need to make a decision. You know you need to change an attitude, change a procedure, change a way, change a habit. Something needs to change. But somewhere along the line, you keep thinking, maybe tomorrow. Maybe at the new year. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Maybe next year. And the process of putting off, it says that they made bread without yeast And they ate it, but before they retired for the night, all the men from Sodom, the neighbors of the city, young and old, came from all over the city. They surrounded the house and they shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside. Listen, why don't you take inventory where Lot is? I mean, already, that's one issue. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him, Please, my brothers, my neighbors, he begged them, don't do such a wicked thing. He knew what they were going to do. Lot knew, Lot, why do you think he said you can't stay on the street tonight? You got to come into my house. Lot knew where he was, but he tolerated. He stayed in the same place for so long. He says, please, my brothers, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, now listen, I hope your stomach gets sick right now. He says, look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want with them. Lot, where are you? How did you get here? Can you maybe ask yourself, you're you're at a place today, you never thought you'd be here 10 years ago. 
Maybe you're at a place this morning, you say, how in the world did I end up in this spot? How did I come to this place? How did this happen in my life? You might be here today saying it, I can't believe I ended up this good. And there is a grace and a mercy of God. You might be saying, I never thought I'd face this trial. I want you to know that there's still a grace and a mercy of God that will assist you in those moments. How did Lot end up at this place? How did he get there? He says, let me bring my daughters out to you. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and they are under my protection. Isn't it something that he wants to save face? Or he has the, the hospitality stuff under control. He had the law of hospitality. He was following the law of hospitality, which existed in the day. If a, if a guest came in, you're supposed to take care of them. That's the law. Even found in Deuteronomy, that's the law. There's a law of hospitality. He was doing the right thing. But how many know doing the right thing and forsaking morals means it's not the right thing. You can do all the right things you want, but if you live immorally or you live carelessly, you can do all the right things. Going to church doesn't make us saved. Being baptized as these folks, a Gracie, a young eight-year-old, she's baptized in water, but her soul is not guaranteed to heaven because of getting wet in the baptism tank. She made a commitment before this church family to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to commit myself to live for Jesus Christ the rest of my life. Religious acts don't save you. If it were religious acts, then why did Jesus die? What would Jesus have to die for if it was just something we could do in ourselves? And Lot had the gift of hospitality or the the practice of hospitality. He followed the law of hospitality, yet all the while offering his daughters. These men said to him, stand back. Verse 9, they shouted, this fellow Lot came to town as an outsider. Even they knew he didn't belong there. He's an outsider. He came as an outsider. Now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. They lunged towards Lot to break the door. But the two messengers reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Aren't you thankful for the intervention of God? Then they blinded the men, the neighbors, young and old, who were at the door trying to break in. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. The messengers questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives in the city? Get them out of this place. Sons-in-laws, daughters, everybody. For we are going to destroy the city completely. The outcry of of perversion has reached God and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés. He had two daughters. They each had fiancés. They're going to get married. Lot goes to tell the fiancés. He says, hurry. The place is about to be destroyed. Get out right away. And here's what it says. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels insisted, hurry. Take your wife, your two daughters, get out of here or you'll be swept away in this destruction. When Lot still hesitated, are you serious? Lot, you just fought off men at the door. You offered your daughters to be given away for whatever purpose. They're trying to attack you and and, and violate the laws, and you still hesitate. How many know the sinful nature inside of us is a tough thing, but not a match for the grace and the work of Jesus Christ? The sinful nature, and here Lot still hesitated. The angel seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the two daughters, and they rushed them outside of the city, and the Lord was merciful. Somebody say, thank God for his mercy. You're not here today without the mercy of God. God has been merciful in your life. He has showed, he's pulled you out of places you didn't even recognize. And he's even pulled you out of places maybe like Lot, you saw it. 
Bible says this. He told him, he said, don't look back. The angel said, he gave him this order. Run for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere. Escape to the mountains or you'll be swept away. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising and the Lord rained down fire and sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with other cities and villages in the plain, wiping out everything, people and vegetation. Verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back and as she was following behind him, she turned into a pillar of salt. This would have been in this state. I've seen it portrayed where she became hardened and then blew away in the wind. But I've seen it portrayed as well that literally became hardened and became like a rock in that area. It's no incident or, or no coincident that the place that this is happening is just below the Dead Sea. And when the Dead Sea expanded, if you know anything about the Dead Sea, it's salt. It's, it's infiltrated with salt. Nothing living is there. That it only has an inlet, it doesn't have an outflow. How I many know if all you do is give or all you do is take and never give, you're going you're gonna to die. There's no outflow in the, in the Dead Sea. And so because of that, water can only evaporate in the environment, which the water evaporates but leaves behind the salt and the, the, the things that nothing can grow there. This is the place where she would have been and she would become hardened. The Bible says in Isaiah that your heart is like a stone, but if you come to God, he'll take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. How many know there's a God who can still turn things around? There's a God who can take what is hardened and chisel and work and mold and create in you. But here we are, Lot is in this place, and if you look, you recognize what is going on here. Lot knows that there needs to be change, but he has a hesitation problem. We already said that his, his, uh, the men came to the door and said, let those visitors come out so that we can have sex with them. And Lot comes out to intervene and says, no, you can have my daughters. Lot, this is the place where Lot is. How in the world did he arrive at this place? How did he end up at this, at this location? And to top it off, this is where he's running away from. And what does his wife do? His wife, as they're running away, his wife looks back on Sodom. Hey, Mrs. Lot, did you not realize those men wanted to attack you and tear down your door to have sex with the men who are staying with you and your husband offered your virgin daughters? Hello, Mrs. Lot, what are you looking for? What is it that can cause us to look back on something, to think that there's something so grand, to think that there's something so valuable and to miss that there's a God who is redeeming? Now, many of us will read this and this is what we do. We read this and immediately we see the punishment of God. We say, how could God do that? And we miss the message of grace that is in it. We see the punishment of why would God cause all that to happen? But the grace that is there all the while, God gave opportunity for them just like he did with Noah. And just like he does today, he's given opportunity for you and I. But I would have believed that there's people just like the men or the, the son-in-laws, the soon-to-be son-in-laws of Lot. When Lot came along and said, hey, there's a judgment coming. There's a God who loves us and he wants to save us. There's a judgment coming. But there were son-in-laws who were sitting in the camp and soon-to-be son-in-laws. They're like, he's got hot daughters, but man, he's a nutcase. He, he's a joke. We'll deal with him. He, he says this stuff. We'll deal with him. But man, his daughters look good. We'll just take his daughters. But he's, a, he's messed up. You know, there's people today that when people say Jesus Christ is coming back, what a sham. Some would say, what a hoax. Can I tell you, his love and his grace 
is for you. That yes, there will be a punishment. There will be a judgment that will come. But to those who are in Christ, don't have to fear that God has provided and made a way of escape. Not through religious means, but through a relationship with Jesus Christ. To know and understand how much he loves us. Because you'll never know what you're really looking for until you know the love that God has for you. Until you put the first puzzle piece in its place, nothing else will fall into place. If you've got the first piece out of place, how many know somewhere along the line, they're all going to be out of place. But when you put the first piece in the right place and in your life, in our life, that relationship with God, that when we put him first, but somewhere along the way, Lot lost sight of something. Something hardened, something changed. The Bible says he was saved. He was a righteous man. I don't understand it all, but even Peter speaks of Lot as a righteous man in 2 Peter. God knows the heart better than we do. So before you can judge somebody and think whether or not they're really saved or not saved or are saved, only God knows the heart. Only God knows the true heart. My wife knows me better than anybody else. She can look at my face and say, what's bothering you? Nothing. I can read it all over your face. I mean, there's a God who knows me even better than she does. There's a God who knows my heart. He knows every intention of my heart. He knows everything about me. And in that place of, of, of openness to God, saying, God, I'm, I'm coming to that place to accept and to receive the love that you have for me. Recognizing, though, today, where was it that Lot lost sight? How did he end up here? You're here today, and how did we end up here? Lot, what was it, Lot? You just figured, well, this is the norm. There are no virgins left in this town anymore. Everybody sleeps with everybody. So Lot, you're just going to offer your daughters because that's the norm? There are no standards anymore? You just, we just do this because that's what everybody does now? What was it in Lot's mind that somehow was justified? What was it that seemed okay? What was it that was just this okay thing that just went along and, and just no concern? Something happened, and I think it happened in Genesis 13. But even before that, of course, he gives him the warning. He says, don't look back, the angel says to him. Don't look back. But look what it says in Genesis 13 when they separated. Remember we talked that that there were too many people they needed to separate? Genesis 13 verse 12. It's on on the screen for you. It says, So Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom, and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of the area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. You know where Lot's problem was? Lot's problem was when he pitched his tents just outside the city. He had a choice to go anywhere, and he saw great fields, and in fact, great things. It says later, even in that scripture, there was a place called Zor, and these mountains, and the mountains that were beyond that, which God even said, go to those mountains. You can read it later. Lot Lot had a lot of hesitancy issues. Lot had a lot of issues with obeying God. Somehow God worked it out graciously, but here's what I believe. Lot did not become all the man that God could have called him to be. Lot did not, Lot's story, because here's the reality. The last time we hear of Lot, it gets even worse. Is the next chapter, or at the end of this chapter we just read in 19, his daughters get him drunk so that they can sleep with their father. The Bible has some messed up stuff in there. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible? Yep. Why? Because the Bible's real to tell us how sick we get when we get without Christ. How far we go when we don't have our center focus. And that's the last time you hear of Lot is when his daughters get him drunk so that they can become pregnant by their father. 
which from there come the Moabites and the Amorites who fought Israel along with the Philistines, the ones that Lot gave in his sin. Isn't it interesting? That's all we hear about Lot. But I believe there may have even been a book called Lot had he honored God. There could have been much more written. Let me ask you today in 2015, is it just going to be a story that ends? Or are you going to say there's much more that God can write in my life? There's much more that can take place. There's much more that God can do. And here in this place, it all started just right where they were camped out. And we're not finished yet. We're going to go have a time of communion. So I want to transition here. But I don't want, I don't want to lose you. I want you to follow me, though, because we're going to have communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come quietly. And I know that, that usually, you know, they're like, oh, he's done. So let's put everything away. We're, gonna, we're soon out of here. Just another hour and we'll be done. <laughs> Why are you laughing? No, I'm, we'll, be, we'll be respectful. But I want you to follow this this morning. Here's Lot, and imagine Lot is waking up, and he has everywhere else that he could go, but he pitches his tent. He puts his tent somewhere near Sodom. Do you know what that means? That means every morning he wakes up, he gets out of his tent. And listen, by the way, in, verse 13, in chapter 13, he's living in a tent just outside of Sodom. But where do we find him in 19? He's got a home on the inside. Write this down. Whatever is your temporary fix today will be your permanent hindrance tomorrow. Whatever is your temporary fix today. Listen, some of you will be careful how to say some of this. But there are temporary things you've done today or in moments and you've thought a temporary thing might fix. And it's become a permanent hindrance in your life. I want you to know whatever that permanent hindrance is, is not too great for God to work in. Because whatever your fault is, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many have ever done something stupid? Some of you are stupid enough to raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. That wasn't nice. wasn't nice. My wife's going to yell at me for that. I didn't mean that. I was just, yeah, we, how many have ever done something stupid? Every single one of us. You know, most of the faults I've got, I created them. Some, many of the hindrances and things that are in my life and worship team is going to play quietly but I want you to hear this this morning picture this he wakes up every morning in a temporary place and every morning he'd open his tent what was the first thing he saw? Sodom every morning hey come on guys wake up hey daughters it's time to wake up ugh stretches to the morning sun and the first thing he sees Sodom Sodom is all he saw for so long and I think that's where his daughters probably came to a place to think that's just what we do we aspire to Sodom that's what we look at every day I want you to take inventory this morning what is it in the first five minutes of your day what do you do in the first five minutes of your day first thing you do when you wake up because the first thing you look at is the first thing that you're setting course to and wherever you're putting your tent whatever the direction is and some of us let me let me just ask you take inventory this morning i know this is going to sound like an old time preacher yada 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 but i believe that there's a way that pleases the lord and when we walk with god he keeps our path straight he will bless us there is a reason there are certain songs i don't want to listen to in my house 
it's, it might be a love song. I'm okay with an occasional love song every once in a while. But I don't want the stuff that speaks of filth and stuff that somehow along the line we're convincing ourselves there's no big deal. Because now we get to the place, here, just have my virgin daughter sleep with them. Do whatever you want. That sounds gross. Sounds hideous. It's in the Bible. Let's quit hiding like it's not there. And let's quit pretending like we don't live there. Let's be real. We're at a place where the value of, the, of, the, of the, the body and the sexual relationships in our world has gone to a place. And listen, I'm telling us, sexual sin is not going to send us to hell. It's a heart that's separate from God. When you don't know God, you'll do anything to try and find him. Sexual perversion is not what sends you to hell. Wrongdoing is not what sends you to hell. The reason we will go to hell, if we would, if we'd be separated from God, the reason is not because of the bad things we've done, but because we've missed out on the one who wants to redeem us. My, my perversion is not what will send me to hell, but my relationship with God that I sever or I cut off, if I don't have relationship with Him, then I will try to find it with other stuff. And the number one commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. That's number one. And when I put God at a place at a distance and I try to fill it with everything else, that stuff is not what sends me to punishment. It's that I have separated myself from God. Does that make sense to anybody? I'm not here preaching down sex. I'm not here preaching and saying, you're going to go to hell because you do these things. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're going to miss out on what God wants for you because you're, you're worshiping a foreign God. You're worshiping something that's temporary. You're worshiping something that is a temporary fix today but will be a permanent hindrance tomorrow. You're worshiping something that today helps for a moment. But after time, it becomes a hindrance and a problem. I'm saying to you today, the message is not you've got so many wrongs the message is there's just one man who can make it all right there's just one savior who died for you there's just one person who loves you enough who did what he did because his love for you let me ask you today where are you pitching your tents where's your tents looking at and i want you to challenge first five minutes who are you sleeping with what movies you watching what music is just becoming background noise in your head? In the first five minutes, there's nothing, it's a pet peeve of mine. Every morning when I wake up, and if there is a song in my head, a beat or something I've either heard, or either heard on TV, and it's something that I know is not directly a worship song, it bugs me. Not just, oh, you're holier than, no. There's something about those first five minutes of waking up. There are times I get out of my bed and I stand on the side and many times Jody's already up because she wakes up earlier than I do. She's, she's crazy like that. She also goes to bed earlier too. Maybe that's why. Anyway, I wake up and if she's not in the room, I'm talking out loud to him. Some of you say, you're a fool. You, you talk to yourself out. No, I'm talking to him. I'm talking to the one who made me. He and I have this relationship. Can I remind you? It was Adam. Trust me, I know what time it is. We'll wrap this up but here. It was Adam. Adam, when he was created, Eve gave him the fruit. You remember the story? What did he do the moment he heard God come down in the cool of the day? He hid. He went to hide. Why did he hide? Because of shame. He didn't want God to see him. But here, what did God... The first question asked in the Bible is when God looked for Adam... Now, how many know God knew where Adam was? All right, this wasn't hide and go seek, you know, 
Come out, come out, wherever you are. I'll find you. No, God knew where he was. But this is the first time a question is asked. And a question was asked because the relationship that they had was severed because of missing out on what God wanted. And I go into a whole teaching about how that really wasn't punishment either. Because there's a, there's a misconception that God is a punisher. He is not a punisher. He loves you. He does everything he does for your good. Some of you are like, what do you mean he's not a punisher? There is judgment. Yeah, there's judgment. But it's reserved unto the day of judgment. Today is a day of blessing. Today is a day of salvation. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Don't miss it. This is a day of salvation. God says, where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. God wanted Adam to recognize where are you, Adam? Let me ask you today, Faith Assembly, January 4th, 2015, where are you? Well, God knows where you are, but he wants you to know where you are. You're here today and you say, God, I've been putting my tents towards Sodom. We start 21 days. Can I give you a 21-day challenge? For the next five, for the next 21 days, for the first five minutes of your morning, instead of letting Fox News or CNN or the newspaper or some music or something else fill your mind, take five minutes and just on those first five minutes, maybe open up version and read the verse of the day, but take that first five minutes. Here's why. How many want to be drawn closer to God? I pray that'd be a decision of yours. Here's what the Bible says in John 12, 32. Jesus said these words, if I be lifted up, what'd he say? I will draw all men unto myself. John 12, 32, if I be lifted up or when the son of man, now that's prophetic. Jesus is speaking and he's saying, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be lifted up. But can I tell you this? He says, when the son of man is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. How many want to be drawn closer to God? Can I tell you in that scripture is the secret? When I am lifted up, he said. You see, when you make it a point in your first five minutes, say, God, I want to lift you up. You say, I've got old habits and things that need to be broken. Listen, before you can change any of that, you got to change the way you think. You got to reprogram this way you think up here. Instead of the routine, instead of the normal, instead of filling yourself and your mind with the ordinary, you need to change up your routine. If you got an attitude on a frequent occasion, you need to change the routine of how you snap into that attitude. You say, well, can it be that simple? No, but it starts with making conscious decisions that you're going to respond differently. Instead of that moment flaring up, how about you have the moment and saying, instead of being identified by the offense that just happened, how about making it a point to make sure you edify Christ? Say, God, in this situation, I'm going to lift you up. How many know? He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. You are an all man or all woman. That includes you. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. So if you want to be drawn closer to God, then what you need to do, all we need to do, you say, it sounds so simple. Yep, we tend to make it harder than it needs to be. I want to challenge you the first five minutes of your next 21 days to lift him up. The Bible says this in Romans, and our ushers are coming to service communion this morning because... We want to give you an opportunity to make a decision. The first five minutes of your day, but maybe even this morning to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life.
The Bible says in Romans 12 verse 1, it says, In view of God's great mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. In view of God's mercy, let me ask you today, what's in view? Are your tents focused towards Sodom? If they are, then maybe this morning you need to turn them towards the cross. You say, well, don't I need to pick up my tent and take it somewhere else? No. You just make sure you're focusing the cross. You just make sure you're pointed in the right direction. Because he said, if anyone, if I be lifted up, I will draw. This morning, we're going to receive communion because we want to have view of God's mercy. We're going to hold the cup and the bread that reminds us of his sacrifice. And as these ushers serve you this morning, if you would hold the elements and we'll take together as a family and just hold them in a time of worship, the only requirement we have here is not that you attend church. The only, the only requirement of Scripture, not even of this church, but what the Bible says, is that you believe in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to give you this opportunity to join us. And on this first Sunday of 2015, maybe you need to turn your tent. Maybe your tent's been focused to Sodom. You need to turn your tent to the cross. God bless you as you receive the elements. And men, thank you for serving us. As you're served, as you said, if you just hold them and we'll take together. Can I encourage you today? We often feel the pressure of needing to move our tent closer to God. Don't worry about moving your tent closer to God. Just make sure you focus the door. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If you want to be drawn closer to God, you just make him your focus. He'll take care of drawing you. Don't look back. And when you turn to that cross, don't look back because there's nothing back there. I don't know how we got to where we are, but I know the one who can take us from here. I know the one who can make all things new. As the worship team leads us, would you just hold those elements and in a time of reflection between you and the Lord, would you just ask God today, God, do I need to turn my tent? Do I need to be out with the old and in with the new? Maybe shifting my tent today. I need to to turn my tent. Would you just make that your reflection with God today? We'll take communion just before we go. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our heart in these moments as we end. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.